This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. First, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Credit Intel. Knowing the financial health of retailers is crucial for the success of your retail-related business. That's what Credit Intel is for. Credit Intel analyzes the financial health of hundreds of publicly and privately held retailers in different sectors. With a subscription to Credit Intel, you have access to comprehensive analysis of retailers' financial condition and their expert analytics team. Visit creditintel.com for more information. Welcome everyone to Retail Retold. Today is episode three. Today I have Doug Jerem. Doug is the managing director of Hanna Commercial, a real estate brokerage firm. Doug leads the Rochester office. I'm really excited about this. Doug is one of the more prolific people in our industry. He's a great guy and he's done 55 Walmart Sam's Club transactions and 175 Starbucks transactions. Two retailers that are dominating in today's marketplace. And he's got a breadth of experience that most people uh, don't have. And I'm really excited to have you. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here today and look forward to talking to you. So, Doug, what city and state and what tenant are we talking about today? I think we'll talk about the Walmart in Albany, New York. So why don't you take us off? Tell us about how uh, Walmart ended up in Albany, New York. So this uh, this particular transaction, Walmart was already there. Probably they're, they're best known in the market in the uh, Crossgates Commons, uh, which is adjacent to the uh, Crossgates Mall in Albany, which is owned by uh, Pyramid Management. And Walmart originally opened there as a, you may have seen around New York, Pyramid developed a number of these kind of stacked projects. So they they developed some power centers near their malls and were stacking levels of retail on top of each other, both facing out opposite directions. So you had uh, accurate parking for both levels. And they had several of these. There was one in uh, Middletown and they did one in uh, Albany. And so the original project had the Walmart Division One or the General Merchandise Store on the upper level. And then the Sam's Club had a location uh, directly underneath that in, uh, in the same footprint uh, facing out the other direction. So uh, with its own parking field, we had and what time uh, period are we talking about when those when those originally opened? They originally opened would have been in the 90s, mid uh, late 90s, probably 98. Uh, okay. I think in that area. And that was not something we were involved in. Uh, that happened before our time. We had been working to relocate that store. So the, the program that we worked on was the Supercenter program, which was adding groceries to the general merchandise store. And we had been working on relocating that store for, for quite a while uh, and gone down the road on a, a number of different sites as was pretty typical. It usually took a while to, uh, to get one that, that worked and that everything came together on. And so we, uh, we kind of reached a dead end on, on some other locations. And what happened was that uh, Sam's Club decided 
do right size is the friendly word for it as part of the store optimization they decided that they were going to uh, to close this location so that created an interesting opportunity so the walmart box and the sam's box were both a proud 125,000 square feet one on top of the other typical super center at that time was between 180 and 220,000 feet although for the most part they had gone away from the very large ones up around 220,000 and were really down to uh, wanting to be about 175 to 180,000 square feet. And so Walmart, what they were doing at the time and, and still do a little bit today is when they, they have these, as they call D1s or Division One stores, which are just general right. merchandise stores, they go and they, they try to expand them. And if they can't expand them in their current footprint because to add grocery is you know, 50, 60,000 square feet more space, they would go and find a different location in the market. Is that right? That's right. And in some cases, actually finding moving to a new location, building a new store was actually made more economic sense and had a better result as far as uh, the increase in sales. But certainly expanding, particularly if they either own the land or uh, leased a a parcel that allowed for them to, to do it without some incremental rent cost uh, was certainly attractive. In this case, it, it wasn't so much that they had those advantages. It was really that Sam's had a long-term lease at this location that it was a, a liability on the books. So Sam's was looking to dispose of that. And you know, Walmart, is, as it said, was in need of, of a super center. So it was a pretty unusual configuration you know, with a Sam's Club underneath that meant that if they wanted to look at acquiring that that lease and taking over that space, they were implied there was they were going to look at a, a two-level store. So we brought up the idea to possibly do this expansion into the Sam's Club, kind of covering all the bases. And as we started to, to dig into it more, it, it started to become a, a pretty interesting possibility. One of the uh, actually key parts of what made it interesting was that provided there were no changes to the exterior of the of the building shell then both the landlord which was pyramid and the municipality which was the city of albany had very limited influence on the project though said another way there were very few approvals that would need to be obtained in order to to do this and in, and in fact um, almost uh, almost none which for a super center project was pretty unheard of. Yeah, the projects were notorious for multi-year approval processes. We ha- I had projects that I did that ran 10 years in the approval project process. Uh, and, and the biggest piece of it was the biggest piece of that municipalities concerned about Walmart entering in the marketplace. Sometimes it was a municipality. More often than not, it was a community. So we tried to, when we kind of arbitraged a project, we looked at you know who was in favor and and who wasn't. If the town was in favor, but the community you know had a, a group, and it was usually a, a small but vocal minority. If that was the situation, so essentially, if the project made sense, you know from playing within the framework of, you know, what's allowed and, and what the process is. So if we weren't asking for a zone change and it was a site that had retail on it previously, or, you know, maybe it was industrial and, and we we're going to move it to retail, which is arguably higher and better use. And so, you know, if that made sense uh, and we had the town support, then 
that would be a project that you know, had a high likelihood of, of success. Where we tended to not pursue things was where we didn't have support of the municipality. That becomes a very difficult road to, to hoe, and and yeah, you're you're often not successful. But in this scenario, you didn't need any of those because I guess because you had a, a Sam's Club lease, which is owned by Walmart, and they had the right to assign or sublease? They actually were, they considered them separate entities and separate parties. So Walmart had to take assignment of the lease and the lease was moved from Sam's Club to to Walmart. It was an internal thing, but yeah, they they have always treated those two companies separately when it came to property. So yeah, if if, uh, Walmart wanted to acquire a piece of Sam's property, they actually, there was actually a transaction that occurred. But obviously Walmart, you know, if they wanted to take over this lease, Sam's is more than happy to, yeah, to engage in that transaction. So the situation here was the only approval that would be needed, provided we didn't change anything on the exterior of the building, would be to simply get a, a interior renovation permit. And a building permit is, as you know, if you follow building codes, it's yeah, it's basically uh, it's not a discretionary permit as long as you follow the rules. So, so this made it, it very interesting uh, to Walmart and particularly that you know, we could really accelerate the timeline of, of making this happen. And so we uh, you know, the project as such was submitted to uh, to committee, was approved, and you know, we got under underway on the planning. What was really interesting about that, so now we have a two-level box, and how do you turn that into a, a super center? There, at the time, were, I believe, no operating two-level super centers in the United States. There was one or two others that had been approved, but they weren't constructed yet. So the only two-level stores that they operated were outside of the U.S. So they did have experience uh, with that in other countries, and so they were able to uh, to fall back on some of that experience as well as some of the, the experience they had to date, at least with planning the other two-level locations that, that they were moving towards constructing. So what they ended up doing is you had basically two footprints that were the same right on top of each other. They kept the essentially the division one departments on the second floor where they where they already were and then the sam's club would be turned into primarily into the grocery box and then the big alteration that uh, that they had to do was to uh, connect them with vertical transportation so they cut a giant hole in the floor in the in the middle of the uh of the box, installed the cartilators. So in, inside the store, you can go between the, the levels with the uh, the cart escalator. And again, you know, we're now probably 10 years ago at this point, those type of things have become a lot more common in a big box. But at the time, especially in a secondary tertiary market, not an urban environment, that wasn't a thing. So it was, it was pretty interesting. I remember a fair amount of news coverage around it once it opened because of the, the cartilator. I never heard yeah. I never heard that word cartilator. Yeah, <laughs> that was I, I, that was what they had called it. Yeah, the the cart escalator. So that, that stuck. That you know you could either go up that or they also had an elevator in the middle, you know, next to the the cart escalators in the middle sure. of the store, and they'd put they. They put glass railings all the way around so you could look down from above. And when they got that in place, it gave them, so they had two parking lots, two entrances. You could either enter upstairs at where the general merchandise was or on the lower level where the groceries were. Turned out most people came in through the lower level. It was a bigger parking lot. And most people came through the, the grocery store. At the end of the project, something that was, was pretty fun for a while 
you know, because we had two stores that were 125,000 square feet and they you know, put them both together for a pretty good period of time. We, we had the, uh, the honor of being able to say that it was the largest super center in the world. And uh, wow. I don't know that that's still the case, but at over 240,000 square feet, it definitely was. There was a little asterisk on, on that designation though, because uh, in reality, there was probably about 25 or 30,000 square feet that was behind a wall that just was not needed. So it, it was part of the box and it, you know, it was part of the uh, premises, but uh, it was uh, not in service, let's say. Either way, we got to have that, uh, have that designation for a while. So, so that was fun. And it's and so I mean, it's still there today, correct? Still there today. It's a very successful store. It's always done well. It was well received. Yeah, as you might imagine, yeah, some early growing pains on operating the store, but like Walmart does, you know, they just kept iterating and figured it out, and uh, yeah, it became a you know, very successful store for them. And so, how long was it between when Sam's Club closed and when Walmart? open the doors as the new super center? It's a good question. It was probably, it was certainly, I think, less than 18 months. May have been a shorter time period than that, but I don't actually recall the, the dates from when it, uh, when it closed. Wow. So that, that's, that's, they were, they were aggressive about trying to get this open. Yeah, it was fast. And with, you know, with having just interior work to do, that's you know much shorter time frame than a ground up development, especially without any you know significant permitting to do. Was there resistance from the developer? Not particularly. At the end, it was a win for them. Uh, you know, even though they always would prefer to have a seat at the table, uh, which they didn't really this time. Yeah, you know, having Walmart say, "Look, we're going to take our vacant box and make a super center here." It's there's not too much to complain about. Yeah, totally, totally. So when Sam's Club was still there, how long were you looking for a relocation? We had probably been looking for three or four years at that point. Wow. And so, you know, you're looking to move this store. And how big of a geographic area were you able to go outside of? Not very big. Yeah, so... The super centers are huge stores, but they're you know really community based, you know, with, especially with grocery. And so that was some of the work that we were doing was really taking you know the Division One strategy, which was more of a regional strategy, and converting that to a little more dense strategy, albeit with larger stores. So you know we were really trying to keep it within a couple miles of where it was. Doesn't leave an enormous amount of options of where you can uh, of where you can go. And and the super center, how many acres would you have needed? Uh, generally, we needed you know, around twenty acres, you know, sixteen to twenty plus, depending on you know what the municipality required for you know, density and green space and things like that. Essentially, the task was a couple miles away from the existing location, find twenty acres in a very developed market. You know, Albany, while it's secondary tertiary, it's still developed. It's not in mm-hmm. you know. It's not in rural country in, you know, North Dakota or Iowa or something like that. And so you spend three, four years looking at this, and then you get this fortuitous opportunity where the SAMS division decides to close. And that's what really got this going. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we had toured multiple times, multiple sites uh, that just for one reason or another didn't come together. Yeah. So you point out it's not just in the Albany area. It was in the city of Albany slash town of Gilderland. While there are some undeveloped pieces, ones of that size that had the infrastructure that could support the project were limited. We were looking at a lot of uh, industrial that we were looking at you know, repurposing, so demolishing, you know, a couple hundred thousand feet of, of industrial uh, or more, you know, so that was a couple of the things that we had looked at, you know, assemblages of properties in the area, you know, a variety of things. None of the options were, you know, this 20 acres or that 20 acres of greenfield and, you know, let's pick one. Yeah, you know, we had been exhausting uh, a lot of what I would call, you know, creative thinking. But in the end, uh, you know, none of them were able to, to gain traction for one reason or another. And yeah, when this came along, uh, we were still looking. And it wasn't actually the first thing when the Sam's Club closed, because we still had things that were in process that we were working through. It wasn't immediately, yeah, let's go and do this. Yeah, the idea was floated and it wasn't really until kind of some of the other things that were in process came to a dead end that we came back to, how about this? Because the resistance was, it's two levels. We don't operate two level super centers in the US. Yeah. Yeah, so that's great. So that, that that's fascinating. So, I mean, when it opened in Albany, New York, and, you know, Albany's a great market, just... The largest Walmart Supercenter is in Albany, New York at this time period. And was it the only two-story Walmart open in the country at time? Did it, at that time? Did it have both those distinctions? I think that's, I think so. I think it was the only, maybe not the only two-story Walmart. I think it was the only two-story Supercenter at the time. Pretty quickly after that, there, it had some company. So as I mentioned, there was other projects in the pipeline, but yeah, it was certainly in a small cohort at that time. Not a not a lot of those types, but they got better at doing those. Yeah, the realization of being more flexible and you know, the you wanting to get into more urban areas, et cetera. Yeah, they they got more creative. That was kind of the start of of them uh, moving past that. Hey, if it's not you know one single floor plate, all the parking in front, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, that that was kind of the beginning of that time. And so. Whose brainchild was this to say, you know what, retail on one level is how it's done in the United States, going to, you know, accepting real urban environment. You know, the consumer's used to being, you know, really convenient, drive up, walk in. Now they have this, what could be more complicated two-story environment. Whose idea was it? Was it your guy's idea? Was it someone at Walmart? Whose idea was to say, you know what, let's do this two-story store? Yeah, it was it was our idea born out of um, I don't know if frustrations is quite the right word, but it came from this was silly not to do this. You have a lease liability, whether it's sitting with Sam's or Walmart, you have a, a pretty large. I think there was at least another 10 years to go on the primary term of the lease. Uh, it was a large liability here. And actually, the, there was a very key thing that made this happen, and it wouldn't have happened otherwise. Uh, and that was the fact that there was accurate parking at both entrances. That actually was what won the day uh, and got them to be willing to do it and was kind of part of how we positioned it was to say, look, I get that it's two stories, but you don't have to shop it that way. If you don't like that, you can just park at the entrance that you like and you're you walk right in. So it was tons of parking at grade 
for each entrance. And that was really the thing that that was able to get them comfortable with doing it. And and I don't believe they would have done it if, if it was configured any other way. That's interesting. You know, great challenges in retail when you have the interactions of people and physical structure are, are always interesting and, and, and clearly easy access to parking was a uh, point that was really important to Walmart. What was the process for, you know, them? How hard was it for them to get it approved? Because I can only imagine, right, someone in Walmart going in front of a committee or a board and saying, hey, I want to do a two-story store in Chicago or New York, and everyone gets it right away. But to say you want to do it in Albany, New York, there was probably some eyebrow raising. And I know you weren't inside their offices, but from what you do know, how did that work in them getting that approved? Was it a big struggle for them to make that happen and make that commitment? Their process was incredibly efficient and was always, it was always very interesting because you know, for many, many years, the CEO and, you know, one, you know, Rob Walton, the, you know, the, the people at the top of the company still approved every deal. Huge part of their month, you know, they put a lot of resources into you know, this real estate committee and it was definitely a, you know, a big deal. So by the time something got there, you, know, you had lined up all the support you know, all the way up and down so that when you, you, know, when you got in the room, while things were not guaranteed to get, get approval, at least everybody else had vetted it and and if you got pushback it was from that committee level and not from somebody else sort of lower down in the uh, in the org chart because you had already addressed all those things prior to getting there so you know it was really more the process of getting the, the earlier layers you know and getting it through the process uh, you know with the you know, the director and the VP and then their operational meeting ahead of putting it on the real estate committee agenda. And a, there, a big thing would be having operational support, right? So if the operators are on board that they think that they can operate the store in that format, then you've got a really high likelihood of, of getting approval. Really, everything else was kind of working for us. Yeah, we're taking care of a, a lease liability, respectively, a, a fast you know, development timeline, all, all of these other things really uh, you know, helping us. And it was it was really just getting the uh, operators on board to support it, which you know, took a little bit of a little bit of time. But, uh, you know, again, I think that, you know, the parking really helped to get their support. I imagine a real estate director, you know, walking around to the people who were in the real estate committee like weeks before walking in their office and just going, hey, I got a crazy idea. Just hear me out to try to build consensus before getting into that boardroom to present this, the world's largest super centers, first U.S. two-story store in Albany, New York. So pretty interesting. So one of the things you can mention, lease liabilities, Sam's Club closed and it had 10 years of lease term left. So it was going to owe the landlord 10 years of rent. And so they thought it was better to close the store and not operate the store and sell merchandise because they were moving it or they just wanted to exit the market. They they had it was you know in hindsight it was the first step in exiting the market. But actually, that's not correct. They're still they're still there. Uh, so they they had three stores in the market. They closed two of them, reduced it down to one. Does that have to look? I believe the last one's there, although they might have exited last year. Let's go back and look. So it was it was a uh, it was a down yeah, it was a downsizing of uh, of that market. So. Do you know, do you, what got them comfortable that they could do a Walmart Supercenter would be great here, but a Sam's Club wouldn't be good in this market? 
the issues with Sam's had underperformed generally in New York. And so they had the data that, that showed that this wasn't an anomaly that, you know, that there was necessarily anything wrong with the location per se. And in fact, the super centers, the other super centers that exist that are in the uh, Albany MSA have always done very, very well. And so they had, you know, the Sam's Club data showing that, you know, generally speaking across upstate New York, they were underperforming and conversely, super centers were outperforming. So those data points together uh, gave them the, the comfort that yeah, it wasn't about the location. I mean, they have the division one there as well. So they know what the sales are for that. That store was performing well. So it was really able to paint a pretty clear picture that the uh, it was a concept issue, not a, a real estate issue. Got it. That's a uh, pretty fascinating story. Anything we didn't talk about about this story that uh, maybe you think we should you know tell the listeners about? No, I think you know we pretty much covered everything. Things are pretty stable there. Pretty fascinating. I, I would have never thought that at the time the largest Walmart super center in the world at any point in history was yeah. in Albany, New York. And uh, uh, it's you, you pretty can cool win to be that. a part of that. Yeah, you can win Jeopardy with that one. I'll win Jeopardy with that one. That's pretty great. Last two questions we call retail wisdom. So sort of fun questions about our industry. So one is okay. the layup, which is your best piece of commercial real estate advice to anyone on the uh, listening out there. Since we were talking about uh, developments and, and the time uh, it can take, I'll, uh, I'll say that a, a good piece of advice is it will take longer and cost more than you think. <laughs> yes. You start adding vertical transportation and cost estimate sheets, just throw them out the window. So that's right. uh, that, that, that is good. That is a good piece of advice. It is hard to predict what's, uh, what's coming in development. So second one on retail wisdom, your favorite extinct retailer that you wish would come back from the dead. Hmm. I'm going to actually answer that a little bit differently. I'm going to, Instead, give a, a Seeing the Future Award out. And, and that okay. is, uh, I'm going to give that award to service merchandise. In their way, you know, they you know, foretold a lot of, or certainly a, a, a big uh, element that we, you know, that we're seeing in, in retail today, which, uh, you know, is all different forms of, of the showrooming that they, uh, that they did, you know, and, and so many of the, direct consumer brands and, you know, other, uh, other concepts, you know, and it, and it's now not just exclusively showrooming like we were seeing, you know, maybe five or 10 years ago, but yeah, you're seeing this combination of, you know, one part showrooming, one part, you know, click and collect and one part walk, uh, buy and store all kind of combined, but, uh, you know, you can trace it all back to, uh, you know, service merchandise who was really the first one to, to do that, uh, you know, that kind of showrooming. Awesome. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, Doug, thanks for coming on and telling that fantastic story and, you know, giving us insight into uh, your experience, which is pretty incredible working with a ton of retail brands, you know, 175 Starbucks, 55 Walmart, and Sam's Clubs. Uh, not a lot of people in the U.S. can say they've done that combo. So really agree, appreciate your insights and uh, take care, man. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Anytime. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And good luck with, uh, with the podcast. 
Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us. This podcast highlights the stories behind deals from all perspectives, so it doesn't matter if you're a retailer, broker, attorney, or an architect. Contact Diane Lee at D-L-E-E at DLCMGMT.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.